0: interesting occasionally interesting they are occasionally interesting
1: Tyler and Kendra are an amazing couple with very different backgrounds who are currently working at an ayahuasca retreat center in Costa Rica they are both wonderfully creative and passionate about a wide variety of subjects. I met Tyler in film school in Ithaca. Then we lived in Los Angeles together, where we worked on some terrible movies and went hiking. I met his wonderful partner, Kendra, when I visited them in Portland, Oregon, where our time together was cut short because they were urgently rushing off to defend Standing Rock. We're so excited to have you guys on the podcast today. Ah,
0: Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Occasionally Interesting.
1: So. Let's start chronologically. You guys have a similar romantic meeting story to us and that you've known each other forever. Could you tell us how you met?
2: Yeah. Um, we met in high school art class. Um, I have family in Pennsylvania, but i would never been until around that time. And then all of a sudden, for no reason, my mom got the itch to move all the way across the country. We were in um, Colorado at the time.
1: Oh, wow. I didn't and, know
2: Yeah. <clears throat> and so we packed up everything, which was a lot because um, we lived on a ranch. We had a few horses, other animals that all came with us. Um, and. Wow. Was it my <laughs> junior year, her sophomore year, we ended up in, Um, an art class where we were sat alphabetically and both our last names begin with B. So that was, that was the fateful here, the fateful class.
3: (laughs) And uh, not only that, but after we started to become friends, we realized that he lived about a mile down the road from me, which For me, the closest grocery store is about a a 20-minute drive, So, um, where I grew up. So him being a mile down the road was pretty uh, chance that we would be so close together.
2: Yeah, very serendipitous that I should end up exactly there in all the miles and miles of kind of rural nowhere that is northern pennsylvania
3: <laughs> so in northern pennsylvania there's not a lot of diversity a lot of people come from agricultural backgrounds um and so people have a lot of similar beliefs and dressed very similar and here was this weirdo sitting next to me in art class with long hair and wearing like somewhat hippie different clothing and um I was intrigued, so I started poking him and prodding him, and he was very shy. But eventually, I think I won his friendship by annoying him enough.
1: It's <laughs> the best way to do it.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was kind of shy, and so we would try and have these really deep conversations in the middle of high school art class. and
2: Which, just to give a bit of setting also... High school art class in rural Pennsylvania is like the class that nobody cares about except for one or two people, then being us two. And everyone else is like, how does this help me to raise the cattle on the farm I'm about to inherit?
3: Wow. Um, but anyway, so we would try and have conversations that were too deep and got frustrated. And so Tyler started writing me letters. Uh, and then I would write them back and we would exchange them. Um, and so we had a really unique friendship. We were actually friends for seven years before we started dating. Um,
1: and how did you so, make that transition? Was there like a jumping off event? Um, Not without challenge. Um,
3: so I guess the, the jumping off event was that I – I had graduated from college and had spent some time working in in the field that I had studied, which is psychology. Um, And I was looking for something to do that would make me feel like I had accomplished something, but it wasn't necessarily something that you put on a resume or something that's classically successful. So I started looking at through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, And I landed on planning to do a section of the, the trail and I was stubbornly set on doing it with or without company, but Tyler working in the film industry and being freelance had availability. So he said he would go with me. And so here's my, one of my best friends of seven years ready to go on this hike with me and it's kind of gone unspoken for a while that we love each other um, in a way that that was transforming uh, from a friendship to something more. And we had absolutely not spoken it out loud. Um, It was kind of a, a thing that we both knew, but we knew as soon as we started acknowledging it, it would change everything. So we had to be careful about the timing. And so I think for me, I was uncomfortable asking questions like, should we carry one tent to save space so we would sleep in the same tent? And and I really um, wanted to kind of clear the air on how, how we really felt about each other before we went on that journey together.
2: Keep in mind, um, with all this we talk also, I had pretty much been in love with her since the very beginning. Um, Sometime in high school, I think. And there was a point um, in college, it might even have been my junior year, when it really hit home to me that this love that I felt for her was absolutely not going anywhere Um, so it was one of those situations where everyone else kind of knew but we had not been open with each other at all about it Um, I think Kendra came on a road trip before she's like just after college, um, before she started working, um, in the field. And that was when it started to open up a little bit more for both of us. We, um, went out on a hike. Um, she was only in LA for a couple of days, but we went out, went out on a hike, um, along with some friends some psilocybin mushroom friends. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and had, Yeah. And had a really um, deeply sacred experience. Um, and I think at that point, it kind of settled into both of our bones. And that's when we both really knew, you know, where things were going to end up, even if we still weren't sure how to, kind of breach the subject
3: so i think from the point of that ceremony or that journey together it was about a year that we both separately and without talking to each other about it started to kind of heal certain things and focus on certain areas of our self-work that would get us to a point when we could actually pull off this relationship because we didn't want it to be just something that we tested or tried out um, because our friendship was so important.
2: Yeah. um, Throughout the seven years um, in which I was very much in love with her, um, there was kind of two parts of me holding me back from acting on those feelings. One of them was absolutely... Uh, my own shyness. I was pretty shy back then. And um, the other part I think was some kind of a gut feeling um, that neither of us were really mature enough to make it work. It would just be one of those like high school flings or college flings that doesn't last because there just isn't, isn't the relationship understanding and social maturity there to address, um, you know, the, the larger issues that come up, you know, so many, so many, um, couples fall apart in the college years, because it becomes long distance, and there's exploration, and this and that, and, and you know, that stuff needs to get experienced before
3: you can, you know, like, s- settle in. Yeah, so I think we've known each other now for almost 13 years, and have been together for five and a half. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. I'm, there's a lot of those components that I, I see very similar to our story. We, we too had a, an, an experience with some, some psilocybin friends early on in our relationship that was like, yeah, there's something here. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of components there that, that resonate.
3: Yeah, I find that with um, the use of psychedelics, especially in ceremonial or or Ceremonial settings or with the intention of healing, like you can't hide the truth, like the truth tends to surface with those experiences because your masks start to be pulled away.
0: Absolutely, exactly what happened. Yeah, it was we were doing a ceremony of the eclipse, and that was definitely the moment that I was like, Wow, I definitely love this girl. Mm-hmm. It was, it was yeah. profound and awesome. It was, it's good times.
3: <laughs> I wonder how many uh, deep relationships have been uh, sparked or the catalyst has been psilocybin.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And the I wonder you, about the... I don't know, quality and longevity of, of relationships forged in the psilocybin fires. If if you're starting from a place of that type of deep exploration and honesty with yourself and each other, then, wow, like what an incredible foundation.
3: I'd be interested to see some research about it. And I don't think we're that far away from that kind of a reality because of the way that um Therapeutic treatments with psilocybin are becoming more and more accepted and, and
1: normalized. Yes, we are thrilled about this. Yeah, I mean that
2: and and decriminalization.
1: Yeah, we. Um, I just was setting up an interview earlier this morning with a representative from a nonprofit, I think, based in Oregon. Um, I'll find out more information called Heroic Hearts. That's all about getting psilocybin treatment for uh, veterans with PTSD. Yeah, was it Jesse Gold? Yeah, you know him. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah, we're friends yeah. with him. Oh shit! That's amazing. That's so crazy. What? <laughs> yeah, Heroic
3: Hearts project is really cool. They also work to um, to match veterans with ayahuasca ceremony.
1: Oh my gosh!
3: Uh, is he in Oregon, son-
1: or how'd you meet?
3: Uh, he grew up in New Mexico, uh-huh. uh, but so so I met him actually um, through my work with the the non or the the ayahuasca center that we worked with.
1: Wow, cool! What a small uh, psychedelic world. <laughs> yeah, it amazing. is a small world. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah, extremely small. And we came back here to rural middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. It turns out that in like the next town over, there's friends of friends who also, you know, have a really similar story to um, ours as far as medicine work goes. Like they've been in Costa Rica, they've worked with people that we know. Wow. <laughs> in our world, it's like, what?
1: Yeah. Unexpected connections all over. Yeah, absolutely, and and quality ones. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that well, that was that's that was a fantastic uh, <laughs> meat cute story. That's a, a beautiful blossoming of a relationship, and it's really uh, I can hear the reverence you have for your connection and the way you speak about the journey and each other. And that's a really awesome quality to hear. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story. Um, All right. So uh, my next question is about a chapter of that relationship. So you moved Tyler, you moved from Los Angeles to Portland by walking there. And I guess Kendra, were you in Pennsylvania at the time or uh, yeah, I was preparing for the hike
3: in Pennsylvania for a few months before we met in LA. No, no we man. met in New Mexico. Oh. Uh, took a train to LA, and then took a another train to Portland and no, no, to, to Crater Falls. Lake, uh, where we started our hike from. So, it was um, a
1: end of a way to start dating. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that was affen- essentially your first time living together and I guess starting your relationship. But how, how yep. did starting out living together while on an epic adventure without any of the you know creature comforts of regular life inform and affect your relationship?
3: Yeah, it was really interesting, especially because when you're hiking every day, life gets really simple. There's a couple of things that you should be doing, either eating cause you need a lot of calories hiking or resting slash sleeping. And with lots of hiking comes blisters and sore muscles and carrying your things on your back. And so it definitely put us to the test, um, where we were just starting out and we're, we're both stinky. Like we smell so bad. <laughs> and, um, I, I would frequently complain for the first mile of every hike every day, just like I'm so sore, like this is horrible, I hate this, why are we doing this? We'd get a mile or two in and then my body warms up and I stop complaining, but he put up with me every morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: but we actually found a really cool uh, practice, which is that when we, when we get into kind of – The trance of hiking, it's a really great space for us to creatively brainstorm about different stories that Tyler's writing or different ideas that we have. So we've done a lot of creative uh, brainstorming and story writing and world building together while hiking. And that was a big part of that first chapter was just kind of creating together.
1: That's beautiful. (laughs)
2: I think they say if you really want to test um a relationship travel together Yeah. so I think it is kind of representative of both of our tendency to just pick the pick the difficult work to do and do it first um started out right off the bat traveling and then after that living together on someone else's couch for several months wow that definitely is is a second great way to test a relationship (laughs) we were both looking for work at that time so we were also you know stressed out financially (laughs) and i really get easier from there (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, and I decided to throw a kitten into think. the mix. Nice. Um, so we're, it's not our apartment, and I bring a kitten, and <laughs> we try and start our lives. Um, but I look back at it really fondly, and um, eventually we did get our own place and started to build home and have moved that home with us wherever we go since then.
2: Aw, yeah, great way I to phrase so. it. <laughs> I think one of, one of the great things about beginning our relationship traveling is that we, home really is where the other one of us is, you know. Aww. <laughs> and that's, I don't know, that's definitely what I feel, you know, in my gut is when I'm going to sleep and I'm right next to Kendra. That's what it feels. That's where home is.
1: He's going right for your heartstrings. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful.
0: I really liked what you said about like uh, world creating while on hikes.
1: Yeah, I've mentioned to you before about Tyler being a world creator, and this was something that he did, uh, well, I guess, or, I mean, certainly in college, this was a big passion of his, but I wanted him to explain what this was to you because I don't think it's what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, world building is definitely my hobby passion. If if I had all my druthers, I would just world build at all times. Um, but it's essentially, you know, kind of like what Tolkien did with his backstory. Lots and lots of writers and um, game designers do it. Um, But for me, I really like just the building of a world more than the writing of individual stories or the telling of this tale or that tale. Um, when I was in high school, I had kind of one of the epiphanies I had was that everything in the world is true. Like I was thinking about religions and beliefs and perspectives and this and that and the other, and I just realized that all of it is true, and so there has to be a framework to look at the world in which all things are true and you can reconcile it um and so that kind of sparked the beginning of the world that I've been working on I've been working on this world ever since two thousand and twelve um, and I'm just trying to invent it from the ground up. Um, what are the astrological bodies look like? What does the tectonic plates look like? Weather patterns, what cultures are there? How have they evolved over time? How do they interact with each other? Um, but also I really want it to become, you know, both have the ability to comment, on humanity and the state of things as all good fiction does. um, And to point out these places where, you know, misunderstandings happen because not everyone believes that what everyone else believes is true um, and make that comment. So being able to, uh, I have two, two, aspects of my world developing very differently one you know there's no industrial revolution there's an intuitive revolution and it's a very magic-based culture and in another part it's very logical and very science um and what are the values of those and how do they interact and i don't know it's just world building itself gives me such a platform to express this stuff and also to explore it, you know, in myself as well as how I see it in the world and how I see other people seeing it.
1: And how does <laughs> this take form in terms of like, what are you, what are you actually doing? And like, I know there's some computer software involved in this process. Can you elaborate on like the, the ins and outs of the the details of world building?
2: Yeah. Um, Kendra, what did you want to say really quick?
3: Oh, I just wanted to say that uh, one of the things that's really cool about watching the world develop is that Tyler is very inviting of collaboration. And so with a friend who happens to be an environmental studies major, he's exploring um, different biologies and the biomes and and with me, who I have a background in psychology and anthropology, we're looking at the cultures and the, the interpersonal dynamics between characters and, and races and things like that. Uh, with someone else, they're inventing machinery that would exist for certain cultures. And so it's been really cool to see little puzzle pieces come together through people who just want to start talking about the world.
2: Yeah. And they want to talk about the world that they know and what they're enthusiastic about. So it's amazing to be at the, at the center, you know, the axle of this wheel and see how all the spokes are talking to each other. How does the biology interact with the culture? Um, So yeah, apart from um, wanting to express um, the world that I see and and comment, um, I also really want to make this world available for others to do the same. Um, so it's been my intention to uh, create this world in the form of a database so that it can, you know, once it builds to sort of a critical mass, um, I can invite others and let them <clears throat> do their research and set stories in my world, um, and explore concepts that they want to con- to explore using the tools and the dynamics that I've established already. Um, I've been playing around with a few different things, uh, over the years. My latest one is, um, some programming called TiddlyWiki, wiki, um, which is, <laughs> Uh, kind of like a wiki page um, but it's very simple um, and runs offline so your whole database can be online or offline um, whatever you choose uh, and that's going to include like maps and timelines um, glossaries various things like that all hopefully searchable and cross indexed etc. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. So like could other people then contribute like even like the minutia of an individual character's story inside of this world?
2: Absolutely, I would love that. I am one person cannot create an entire world. So I I my dream is to get it to a place where I can kind of let it loose right. and other can generate. I really wanted to make a world that with a little bit of creativity, any story could be told.
0: That sounds absolutely fucking amazing. <laughs> I like, love it. Yeah. That, that it's, 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 it's what I thought it was. It's just like on crack. <laughs> 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 wow. that's.
3: But it, it allows room for you to imagine anything. So there's the possibility that there were mermaids in the world, uh, in, in the past. So we're, questioning you know what would it look like for humanoids to evolve from mermaids like land living people what would that look like what would their biology look like what would be remnants of their culture that's that's still in place from when they lived in the water um and yeah so anything that you can imagine you can start to create the space for them to exist so that that and also
2: I've introduced um i've crash landed some humans um at a certain point in the timeline in order to begin having human culture, human stories, human whatever interact um and be mutated and changed by the cultures that interpret humans differently um so that there's a bit of familiarity um readers or other players in the world have something, you know, a reference point in case they want to explain or dive into a more earthly human, um, like, like literally human concept, um, but in the world that I've created.
0: Fast so like yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's humanoid like characters there and then you introduce our culture that we're familiar with by having actual humans come to the world in some way.
2: Yeah, essentially <clears throat> there's lots of crazy weird uh wildlife and animals and whatnot, but because um the trans-dimensional world of Fae, the fairy realm, touches both. There's a bit of cross-pollination there, and so this, the most sentient, intelligent beings are humanoid. And that's how we can find familiarity with these characters. Oh my god, I love it. I love it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have a brainstorming date.
2: Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We're the perfect hike yep. for it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, can you say a little bit more about the intuitive revolution?
2: Um, I mean, what I see in our real world <clears throat> is that in Western culture, we had the industrial revolution, and that has kind of... Um, what's the word this is just like spiraled out of control there's there isn't balance to it Mm -hmm. um and so i think what could have happened going in the other direction you know the more and more western research um explores concepts of consciousness and the mind and um experience that i've had or seen um in Costa Rica or in day-to-day life, you know, um, with substances and without substances, like the interconnectedness of the human mind just on like a neurobiological level um, is so clearly present, but underpracticed you know it's a muscle that is that is never worked on in our culture and so you hear stories about um so and so you know folk tales so and so turning into um an animal or going to these crazy places uh and so much of that is um metaphorical and it's really getting into realms of the conscious. But because so much of what we are capable of um, is defined by our the, uh, the story we tell ourselves about the world, um, if we told ourselves a different story, what would we be capable of? Um, so an intuitive revolution is much more, you know, If we only acted on intuitive leaps and not on logic, you know, logic has gotten us so far in one direction, but there's so much that science just struggles with where intuition, like you see some of, some of scientific studies and this and that, and we have to get from here to there. And on an an intuitive level, you go, well, obviously, like, why do you need a study for that? It's because science is science. But if there was no science and it was just into intuition, like progress would still be made, leaps and bounds, but it would just look different. And in my world, it would look like magic. It would look like how you, you interact with the physical world from an internal place instead of an external place. So you're you're affecting others um, and not just of your own species um with your mind your heart your intentions um so much of magic in my world is the intention that you put out into the universe and how you do it um the long long ago when magic was wild and chaotic on this part of my world where um the <laughs> intuitive evolution happens <clears throat> the beings there would like it was like speaking to them to interact with matter um so to convince um whether to change or um an avalanche to fall. This is something that could be communicated because the source was kind of like the, the energetic patterns of the universe are obvious. They're just part of, part of everyday communication. And so it's, I don't know. There's, there's a, in anthropology, I think um, there's looking at peoples who have, like, shamanism as a big part of their culture and um, they see, you know, there's an old barn with a lot of termites and then the after a while the barn collapses and they say it was magic that collapsed the barn on the sky Um, and killed him Mm -hmm. and then science comes in and they say well no it was termites obviously um but what they're saying is yeah duh there's termites in the barn but why did it fall then and kill the guy that part is magic so it's communicating with the universe in a way that you know intuitively your intuition is there and so all the pieces like you see what pieces are in play um and create the chain reactions that get your whatever accomplished your spell accomplished so it's it's not a hands-on physical change the world cut it up look at it here's what it looks like in many pieces here's what it looks like as a whole it's it's coming at it from a non-physical place. How, how am I part of this? How is, how is the world, a community interacting rather than a bunch of independent cogs in a machine?
0: I love it. It sort of reminds me, have you ever read, um, so you went to be a wizard. (laughs) It's a series. It's a fantastic series. Uh, It's it's a little it's a little childish now. I reread it recently. I was like, oh wow, this is <laughs> this is meant for a younger audience, but it's <laughs> it, it has a similar uh, way of interacting with magic of 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 a persuasion sort of, to, of of matter or other things to do such things. It's my favorite books, but yeah, I I'm, yeah I, I love it.
3: Well, our inner children are still very much alive, so yes, and a little childish doesn't doesn't sound scary to me (laughs) no not at all
1: i like that (laughs) um i want to well first i want to plug slash ask the thing that we plug on every podcast is our favorite uh thing on the internet wait but why have you i know that i was obsessed with wait but why in college so it seems like something i would have tried to share with you then have you do you know this wait but why i don't um it's sort of Uh, I mean, it's a standalone thing. Like, there's nothing... It doesn't fit in a category. Um, It's sort of a webcomic, but it's more than anything a deeply researched whatever uh, taken and condensed and presented in a really um, good, (laughs) easy-to-digest-and-understand way, including some illustrations using Microsoft Paint. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) It's called Wait But Why, and right now they're doing a series essentially on breaking down the components and world-building the society that we currently live in. So starting from the very beginning and looking at it from all these different perspectives, and uh, they're releasing it in a bunch of parts, um, but you should definitely check it out. I think you'd love it. Wait But Why. Um, That sounds very interesting. Yeah, it's incredibly interesting, and uh, this series is really applicable to what we're talking about right now, but I think you'd also enjoy it a lot of past uh, episodes, <laughs> articles, books, I don't know how to call it. Um, our, one of the, our favorite ones that we've previously referenced is called Taming the Mammoth, and essentially is looking at why on an anthropological and biological level we have social anxiety as a species and that's really interesting and i think yeah there's a lot of really good anthropological biological look at issues that don't necessarily that we don't tend to consider from uh, that type of place so yeah check it out i think you'd like it and i want to ask about jitterbug perfume and how any of this maybe informed you and how uh jitterbug perfume was essentially saying that we're we are on our way to something of an intuitive revolution um the people who are becoming you know enlightened and yeah or that it's yeah (laughs) you talk now jitterbug perfume tell me your (laughs) things you read it too kendra right yeah, Tyler
3: actually read it out loud to me in chunks while I cooked him dinner. Each I
1: read it night. to uh, I read it out loud to Trevor as well. So, it's a good way to experience it, right?
0: <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I thought it was an
3: incredible book. Thank you for uh, badgering Tyler until he read it. Uh, <laughs> and I actually my have pleasure. some beets growing. I have some beets growing in my garden right now inspired by taterbug Perfume. So do we? <laughs> 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 but I I really loved the uh the perspectives on I guess on how we have been convinced of all of the ways that we should be and that life can progress and that um kind of following the story of a couple of people who don't buy it and um I, I really loved the exploration of kind of the idea of immortality, um, the, the aspiration toward it and um, kind of the explorations of what their lives have become and what it looks like to kind of cast away community in a way in search of, in search of life everlasting.
0: That's a good,
2: a good description.
1: And Tyler.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to put it into words. Um, but I know it has definitely had an impact on me. Um, definitely in the way that I choose to live moment to moment. Um, Just, I really liked that. And for them, what what granted them their immortality was just like sex, bathing, and <laughs> what is it, eating well and breathing. Breathing. That's what it was. The breath practices. And it's like, yeah, what is really important in life? Because it's not what I'm stressing about right now absolutely yeah. yeah and i really i really did like um i mean a the phenomenal language that tom robbins uses and the way that he uses it um but also the depiction of the gods and how they change throughout time and are affected um kind of has almost an American God's kind of a feel to it, but um, I don't know, more, more intimate. The gods are a little more intimate, not just physically, um, but (laughs) emotionally with the people who believe or believed in them. And they, that, that they still seem to have that um, compassion for the people knowing that the people are suffering because they are no longer worshiping and not that they selfishly need worship or they will die. Just that it's an integral, there's no, there's no separating this part of human health and living from the God that represents it.
1: Very well said.
0: Do we want to pivot here? I'm a little curious about there.
1: Yeah. Well. Okay. So, Kendra, you your your background, or you you studied psychology and anthropology, and then I know by the time you were in Portland, this led you to working with Native American groups. I am curious about. How that interest started, what your experience working with these groups were, and eventually how this led you to work at an ayahuasca retreat center.
3: Yeah, uh, the position that I started in Portland was actually by chance. Um, I like like we said, we kind of uh, stumbled into Portland without a plan, and so my plan was to uh, work at a temp. A uh, temp agency for for a little bit while we saved up money to get an apartment, and while I looked for a job I actually wanted, and I was placed at um, a nonprofit that was run by Native Americans, and the mission is to serve the Native Americans in that in that area, um, and so. It was totally by chance, but I walked in and, and everything I was wearing was in the same color scheme as the decorations in the building. And mm-hmm. it, I just immediately felt at home and found a really beautiful community there um, and stayed there for several years while we were in Portland. Um, and it was it was really interesting to see the intersection between um, traditional traditional practices in Western medicine. And so uh, there's the attempt to kind of bridge the gap between them. So for example, with the addictions treatment that that they had there when people were in treatment, occasionally they would have a sweat lodge ceremony for healing. And that sweat lodge ceremony would be billed through our Western insurance system as group therapy. Um, wow. There would be, you know, there's a family and, and children um, department in this nonprofit that would have family nights where, where aunties and, and um, elders would teach, whether it was making moccasins or beating or drumming, teaching songs, and that would be billed also as group therapy um, or as a group activity. Um, and so it's a lot of finding ways that, um, that the traditional ways of healing can fit into the Western system that we're kind of all forced to operate within. And, you know, there were a lot of, um, just little things like there, there's a dental clinic and a health clinic, and all of the rooms that you go into, they're not stark white. They have some native, um native art on the wall and it's not totally white it's it's covered with colors and things like that and so it just is understandably a lot of native people don't want to seek health treatment or any sort of treatment from the system from from the wider system with white walls and white jackets and um so it's kind of geared toward matching people with, with treatment that is, they can see themselves in, they, they can see themselves in some of the nurses and the therapists, because a lot of them are also native. And so it was really beautiful to have that experience and, um, introduced me to a lot of things that I've, that I've taken with me. Um, one of, one of the facets of my job was to work with their elder program. So really part of my week was spent just getting to know the elders in the area and serving them, whether it's food or coffee or um, just doing little things for them. And that was the biggest honor I could have asked for.